Our text this morning is verses 10 through 12 of Matthew 19, and uh, this whole matter of singleness. And we've been saying as we've been looking at these matters to do with marriage, divorce, relationships, that as a church we want to be a people who love the word and stand by the word and recognize that the Bible is inerrant, infallible, authoritative. And as the Bible speaks, we are to hear, we are to respond, to submit and to obey. And so when the difficult issues come, as they do, our response must always be, what does the word say? How does the word direct what we do in this matter? And that's true for salvation, and it's true in these matters of marriage, divorce, and singleness. God speaks with the same authority on these matters as he does any other. And so we need to be ready for that and to understand what the Bible says, because the world puts so much pressure on us to conform to their way of thinking and their agendas and their attitudes. But we desire above all to please the Lord. Now we've been looking at these verses and we've seen that God defines marriage. God's definition of marriage as given in his word does not change. It stands. Marriage is defined by God. It's a covenant under God. Marriage is designed to be a demonstration to the world of Christ's covenant with his people. A depiction of Christ's love for his church. As one explains, the meaning of marriage is the display of the covenant-keeping love between Christ and his people. And as the Lord moves into this new phase of his ministry in Perea, his enemies come to him and they try to discredit him and destroy him. And as we've seen, they do so by asking him this question about divorce. And Jesus confronts them with the truth of the word of God. And instantly he takes the matter above men's opinions to God's definition. And so he sets out the ideal that God has put in place. And he affirms that divorce is not part of God's original design. And explains that what God joins together should not be separated. That is the biblical foundation and design. But then they come back to him. And then we see that God not only defines marriage. But he regulates divorce and remarriage. The Pharisees didn't want to hear what Jesus was saying. They didn't hear, want to hear about the design of God. They just wanted to twist the scriptures to support what they wanted to do. And indeed to accommodate their lust, to permit their divorces, and yet to make them appear as though they were keeping the law and right with God. And so they asked this next question, which twists scripture, Deuteronomy 24, to try and discredit the Lord Jesus. And they try to set the Lord Jesus and his teaching against Moses. And they say, well, Moses commanded divorce. And we explored it last time and we saw that was certainly not the case. And there was no conflict. And in fact, the Lord Jesus affirms the Old Testament teaching and standard, which is the position of Moses, and responds to the Pharisees by restating God's intention for marriage, teaching that the original design was not for divorce. But in his graciousness, though sin ruins where there was persistent, hard-hearted, irreconcilable adultery, God permitted divorce. A concession to a sinful world, permitted, not condoned or commended. And so Jesus dismantles all the errors and the misinterpretations of Scripture promoted by the Pharisees, and so he deals with them and they disappear. Only for a time. 
The piercing truth and wisdom of Jesus exposes the sinfulness and the wickedness of their hearts, and so they, they scuttle off for a time. But then in verse, T, we, it's verse 10, we see this hard teaching, and we see the way the disciples respond to it. And so the scene moves into a house, and the Lord is with his disciples. And the strength and clarity of the teaching of the Lord Jesus no marriage and divorce had a, a massive impact upon them. It was so counter to the culture and the accepted teaching of the rabbis, which said you could divorce for any reason. And so they're taken aback at what the Lord Jesus had said, even though he just affirmed the truth of the Old Testament. And for the disciples, it was a, a, a hard thing to process because they'd grown up in a society where divorce was rampant and actually treated as a virtue. Let me give you some examples of the rabbinic teachings from the Talmud to show you the level that it had reached. So one teaching says, a bad wife is like leprosy to her husband. What is the remedy? Let him divorce her and be cured of his leprosy. If a man has a bad wife, it is his religious duty to divorce her. So the Lord Jesus comes into that and teaches again God's truth. And it blows apart all that error. And suddenly there is a tension between what had been taught by the religious authorities and what the Lord is teaching, and to the disciples it seems so hard. And how do they deal with this? How can they possibly live up to or, or teach such a standard? And so verse 10, his disciples say to him, if such is the case of the man with his wife, oh, well, it's better not to marry. So they turn around and say, well, if it's such a high standard, better off not to get married. What a reaction. You see, instantly there's this whole matter of commitment, isn't it? They don't want to be tied into a commitment that might be for the rest of their life. And if divorce is only permitted in very specific circumstances, then they say, well, maybe it's better off not to commit. You know, there are a lot of people who live like that today, afraid of commitment. That's true in relationships, it's true in the church. They don't want to overly commit because it might limit their freedom to do what they want. Friends, that is not the right attitude and actually misses out on so much. And marriage is intended by the Lord for believers in Christ should be a very good and blessed thing, a lifelong commitment before God. 1 Peter 3, 7 calls it the grace of life. Not only blessed in what it is, but also what it represents, as we said, the unwavering commitment of Christ to his bride, the church. And so when they say it is better not to marry, they are reflecting a, a common attitude which runs and steps back when commitment is involved. You know, sometimes just a, a point on this, there are believers who have ideas of marriage that just focus on the romance emotions and feelings now of course that is a part but beyond that there should be a looking for spiritual character and godliness and someone that you share common values in Jesus Christ and with whom you can build a deep profound meaningful companionship for life someone whose spiritual commitments are as deep and as far and as wide as yours are it's a tragedy when believers are so desperate to be married that they settle for less than that. And what they think will be a blessing turns out to be incredibly hard because they're not aligned. 
And sometimes it results in a lack of usefulness for the kingdom. The zeal for the Lord that may have been there when they're on their own dampened because they've got a lukewarm partner. Now, marriage is a wonderful gift from the Lord, but it is a lifelong commitment to be entered into for the right reasons and with someone who loves the Lord Jesus and shares the same biblical convictions. And so the disciples, they, they need to hear this challenge about commitment. We need to hear it today because there is richness and blessedness in it. God's design. But then look at what the Lord Jesus says. And we'll deal with the text first and then we'll draw out some lessons with regards to singleness. So verse 11, Jesus says to them, All cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. So the reaction of the disciples sees the Lord then address this matter of singleness which they brought up when they said it's better not to marry. It's not the easy option that they suggest. And he says not everybody can handle it, but it is a gift given. And the sense being that there is an ability to embrace something with the heart and mind to be able to do that in terms of being single. And so the Lord continues to teach. And in verse 12, he identifies a number of categories of those who are single. So if you look at the text, he says there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who are made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. And so he says there are those who cannot engage in a normal physical union due to their condition at birth. There are those who are eunuchs and made to because of the cruel treatment by others, castration for some twisted purpose. There are eunuchs who have made themselves that way. And in those days, some of the pagan religions promoted this as a way of gaining favor with the false gods. So they cannot function in marriage. But then there are those who are eunuchs, single and pure, because they have laid aside those relations to be dedicated and committed to the cause of the Lord. Aware that in the course of spreading the gospel, situations can arise which are incredibly challenging or dangerous and eager to spread the word of their own choosing, not because of any divine or human decree, they decide not to marry. That is their privilege. As one explains, such ones are not thereby to be raised to a higher degree of holiness, as if in the eyes of God the state of celibacy gives them extra credit. Such a doctrine is foreign to Scripture. But if Paul wishes to remain unmarried, let him do so. If Cephas prefers to take his wife along, he too has the right to do so. And even for those who are currently single who desire to marry one day, there is still the challenge to maximize your current circumstances to advance the gospel. In 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about those who have received the gift of singleness for the glory of God and the service of Christ. Friends, you know, there are many people who think today that you have to be married in order to live a complete life. But that's not true. The Lord Jesus was the most complete person who ever walked this earth, and yet he was not married. Many grateful, great and faithful men and women through church history have not been married. God has and continues to use those who are single for his purposes. And so Jesus rounds off this little teaching. He says, he who is able to accept it, let him accept it. And that really applies to all of the teaching that the Lord has brought to bear in this realm of marriage, divorce, remarriage, being single. And he knows that most people who hear these things won't be able to submit to his teaching to hear and obey. And you know, that's the point that we need to remember. 
We cannot straighten out a morally broken society ruined by sin. You know, those who are set against God, they hate God, they hate his word, they desire sin. And so this is directed to believers, and if we have the life of God in us, by grace love Christ, want to be under the authority of the word, then we have to accept this teaching in whatever circumstance we're in. Whether married, single, all for the glory of God, desiring to do what pleases him. And so how do we face singleness for the glory of God? And friends, you know, if you're single this morning, I pray this would be a help to you. If you're not single, I pray that it'd be a help so that you can pray for brothers and sisters within our church family who are in that circumstance. Because we are a family together. Do you know, I find it remarkable and found it remarkable how many commentators just jump over these verses. So once they've dealt with marriage and divorce, they just move on to the next thing. But that's not satisfactory. All scripture is of inspiration. And so we need to look at these things. It's interesting that one recent survey suggested that just under, obviously a broad survey, but just under 40% of adult church members in the UK are single. Too often those who are single can just all be thrown in together and treated as one monolithic block of unmarried people. But every single person will have different experiences and circumstances. There are as many stages and seasons to single adult life as there are for married adults. And so being single at 20 is different from being single at 40 or 60 or 80. Some are single because of circumstances. Some have never married. Some have gone through the pain of divorce. Some are widow or widowers. Some have experiential differences. Some have chosen to be single and are content in that. Others long to be married and feel that burden and that frustration, despair at times. For some it can be a a mix of the two. I'm also well aware that what I say about singleness may encourage some, might offend others, and sometimes that can depend on where that person is in the cycle of hope or discouragement and how they're working that out before the Lord. But what does the Bible say about these things? Well, it says, dear friends, that being single is a gift. Being single is a gift. There is so much in society built around couples and singleness can come with negative stereotypes. And again, that was the case in the society in which the Lord Jesus conducted his earthly ministry. One rabbi said, any man who has no wife is no proper man. The Talmud said, the man who is not married at 20 is living in sin. That's why the scriptures are so liberating and the New Testament treatment of singleness so countercultural, so wonderful, because Paul says it is a gift. And in verse 11 of our text, Jesus says, it is good for those to whom it has been given. The problem is, even within the church, singleness is not spoken about or handled very well. I read of a church that set up a group for younger adults, and this is what they called it. Pairs and spares. The insensitivity was staggering. And it highlights the issue. And it highlights the challenge. And single people can be made to feel like spare parts in their families, in social groups, and in churches. 
Now, I read of one person who got so fed up with being asked if they were still single that he started to respond, are you still married? You see, the Bible doesn't say that being single is second best, and so we mustn't say that either. Marriage is good, but singleness is also given of the Lord. And you might be thinking, well, what if I don't think I have the gift of singleness? I don't find it easy to be on my own. My desire is to be married. Does that mean I'm experiencing something second best? Well, when Paul speaks of singleness as a gift, 1 Corinthians 7, I would suggest that primarily he's speaking of the state of being single. Not just some particular ability given to a special few. So in other words, whilst that is your circumstance, it is God's gift, just as marriage will be God's gift if he grants that to you. And so we should receive our situation in life, whether it is singleness or marriage, as a gift of God's grace to us. Being single is a gift. And also, being single has advantages. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul mentions two advantages of singleness. He says single people are spared the troubles of marriage. Marriage brings many wonderful blessings, but it also brings many challenges too. And sometimes Christian couples can kind of hide those hard times and give a very rose-tinted view of marriage to those around them, including singles. And even when the marriage relationship is good and honoring to the Lord, life is more complicated because there's more than one person to worry about. You know, you throw in children, they bring great pleasure, but also plenty of challenges and anxieties as well. And so Paul says, 1 Corinthians 7, 28, Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. So single people are spared those troubles of marriage. Also, single people have greater freedom to devote themselves more fully to the Lord's work. 1 Corinthians 7, He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord, but he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And then it goes on to speak about the wife's response to the husband. And so the Christian responsibility of married people is to care for their spouse and children. That has an impact on what they can do and when. And so singleness has the advantage of allowing a a greater freedom and flexibility in serving. And there are those who choose to stay single to devote themselves to some service for the Lord, but most have not chosen singleness in that way, and yet they still have the same advantage. And so maybe instead of focusing on the difficulties of being single, make the most of the advantages of God's gift of singleness while you have it. But let me add a qualifying point. That does not mean that single people should be treated as the church workhorses. Singles can be guilted and shamed into doing too much and can be expected to devote every non-working hour to ministry, something not expected from those who are married. That's not what I'm saying. There can be great challenges when we're presented with endless opportunity. And so we need wisdom. And also, single adults still have many responsibilities and priorities and working faithfully as unto the Lord, building up our local churches, reaching out to the unsaved, praying for others, caring for other family and friends. We all share a set of basic priorities, and that needs to be kept in mind. So being single has advantages, and it's a gift. 
But being single also has challenges, dear friends. Being single is hard. The New Testament is positive about singleness, but there is no doubt that marriage is God's loving design and gift, the chief context in which our desire for intimacy is met. That singleness is a gift doesn't mean that it won't be a deep and difficult struggle for many. Struggles are gifts which teach us to look nowhere else but to the Lord for our needs. Gifts teach us that his timing is perfect. Gifts revealing more of who he is to us. And also it can be the case that extended singleness can feel like a form of suffering. And it can bring struggles of of loneliness and other temptations. And so it is uh, appropriate at times for us to mourn with those who mourn. And that's especially true when a person may feel as though time is passing and the opportunity for the desire for marriage and family is ebbing away. We must not minimize the pain of that. We must not minimize years of, of dash hope for unmarried adults. But friends, God never forsakes his sons and daughters. And surely if that's how you feel this morning and you're in Christ, he has not abandoned you in the fresh heartbreak or prolonged singleness. And you know, if we really believe that church is a family, as the scriptures say, then those who are on their own should not be caused to feel alone with the Lord's people. Within the fellowship, we should do what we can to make sure that we love one another, care for one another, help those alone to combat loneliness. And we need to include others in life generally to open up our lives to them, not just more formal meetings. And when you do open your lives in that way, and if you're married and working that way and inviting singles into your home, don't be patronizing. Don't be patronizing. Be genuine in pursuing a relationship. Not just because you feel you have to do the person a favor, but because you genuinely care for them and are interested in them. You know, it's very easy to see where that's not the case. And someone invited into a situation like that can feel like an intruder, even though they're with people. And so being single has challenges. But then being single is temporary. Many who are presently single will one day marry. For others, the Lord may have them single throughout their lives a year, but no Christian is single forever. The Bible speaks of Jesus as the bridegroom who will one day return to take his bride, the church, to be with him in that perfect new creation. And on that day, all pain will disappear, including the pain of a difficult marriage or singleness, and God will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and a great shout will be heard, Revelation 7 and 19. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and then it says, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. You know, all gospel churches should prize marriage and family, that's clear, it's what we've been looking at. But we must be careful about the unintentional messages that could be conveyed about marriage and family. Some people make an idol out of marriage. Both are gifts for this life alone. Even the very best marriage is only ever a picture of what lies ahead for every Christian. 
It points to a time when the bride of Christ, the church, is brought to meet her uh, groom, enjoy a truly permanent relationship of love and intimacy with him. The one relationship that survives eternally is the one that we have as the bride of Christ with our beloved Savior. And so the relationships that we all have as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, they're the ones that will not end. And these need to be cultivated as much as family life is cultivated. And additionally, single adults need to be reminded that God has not withheld his very best from them if they remain unmarried. You know, Margaret Clarkson, who is a wonderful, was a wonderful hymn writer, speaks of her submission to her singleness with a strength that comes from before bowing before the sovereignty of God. This is what she says. Through no fault or choice of my own, I am unable to express my sexuality in the beauty and intimacy of Christian marriage. But I am committed to do God's will. His commands are his enablings. My whole being cries out continually for something I may not have. My whole life is lived in the context of this never-ceasing tension. But as a Christian, I have no choice but to obey God, cost what it may, and I must trust him to make it possible for me to honor him even in my singleness. Multitudes of single Christians in every age and circumstance have proved that God is sufficient in this matter. He has promised to meet our needs. He honors his word. If we seek fulfillment in him, we shall find it. It may not be easy. But whoever said, whoever said that the Christian life was easy? The badge of Christ's discipleship was a cross. Why must I live life alone? I don't know. But Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. And I believe in the sovereignty of God. And I accept my singleness from his hand. He could have ordered my life otherwise, but he has not chosen to do so. As his child, I must trust his love and his wisdom. It's a wonderful statement of trust. You know, as I finish, if you're single this morning, just some pointers. I want you to know that thankfulness will set a guard on your heart. And so thank the Lord for his faithfulness to you and the gift that he has given you. Whatever your experience of singleness, pray the Lord will help you to see the opportunity to make the most of what he has given you at this time. And may I gently give you a loving challenge not to allow the root of bitterness to spring up in your heart and hinder your fellowship with the Lord and your fellowship with others and your service to the church. Deferred hopes cannot be allowed to eat away at your thankfulness for the gift of salvation. You know, it's easy if we're just concerned over self to become selfish, and it can lead to bitterness. But friend, if you're in Christ, far from being unloved or unchosen, single believers are treasured by God with a steadfast love that never ceases. And he has shown us that love by sending his son to die for us. His mercies are new every morning. And also, friends, if you're in that situation, seek to be content day by day. Contentment with singleness is not just something that you arrive at and then that's it. It is something you have to depend upon the Lord for each day. A single missionary once asked herself this, Can I be content being single today? 
Not with being single tomorrow or next year or 10 years or when you're this age or that age, just today. And when you consider your singleness on those terms, it feels less overwhelming. And you know that you have a God who knows you, who hears you, who loves you. You have his promises to rely on. You are being kept. And if you can be content being single today, you can be content being single tomorrow when it becomes today because he is faithful. And because his mercies are new every morning, he will be tomorrow all that you need him to be, just as he will, whether it be 30, 40, 50 years ahead. He will not fail. And so whether you're single or married, God will prove himself faithful to you day after day after day. And ultimately, keep your eyes fixed on heaven. It is our eternal relationship with Jesus Christ that ultimately matters. And so contentment with your singleness is not the ultimate aim. But as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, this I say, brethren, the time is short. For the form of this world is passing away. This world is on borrowed time. And a day is coming when Christ is going to return and renew creation completely. And that day is soon. And so keep your eyes fixed on the glory to come. Friends, it is hard when we face these things. But I pray so much. If you're single this morning, you will know God's nearness and his grace upon your life. And that you'll trust him whatever the circumstance and know his comfort in that. And I pray that God will bless and help all of us in our various circumstances, whether we are single or married. But I emphasize again, the relationship that matters above all is with Christ. And so whatever our circumstances this morning, we need to be right with God. And that can only be true if we have trusted him. And if we have believed him. And if we have cast ourselves upon him and look to him alone for our salvation through his perfect life, through his death on the cross, he has made the way in which we can be changed and forgiven and to be able to live for God's glory, whatever our circumstances. And so do you know him? Is that a relationship that is yours by grace? Are you in Christ? Because he ultimately is the one who satisfies our souls. And so, dear friends, whatever your circumstances, may you be found in Christ. And if we're in Christ this morning, may it be that we live faithful, whether we are single, whether we are married. May it be that Christ is commended in the way that we are and that we will be used of him to point others to the Saviour and to glorify his name. Amen.